Welcome, everybody. My name is David Irvin, and well, I want to welcome you to another one of our podcasts on conversations with authentic leaders. Uh, what we're doing is here is talking with uh, what I would call ordinary leaders who are doing extraordinary things, and I'm shining a light on leadership capacity that ordinarily uh, wouldn't, get, uh, wouldn't get recognized. It's my belief that what we focus on is what grows. And I, I'm just uh, so privileged to have an opportunity to have conversations with some of the people that I have deep respect for in my work. Uh, you know, one of the greatest things for me, the most, you know, one of the greatest blessings that I have in my work in the leadership development field is that I have an opportunity to meet some remarkable people. And I know that I am impacted as much by others as I assume that I can impact others. And I'm just uh, so inspired by the conversations that I've had over the years and the learnings that I've had from some remarkable human beings. I am passionate about leadership development, and my life's work is to really begin to understand where does this capacity come from, this ability to make an impact in people's lives, to make an impact and to inspire people to move toward a shared vision. Where does that capacity to influence actually come from? And it's my premise that it doesn't come from the tools as much as it comes from the tool user. Who is this person underneath the tools that might be used? And so often in leadership development, we stress the importance of tools and strategies and techniques. And while those can be valuable, it's really who the person is, the tool user underneath that, that makes that possible to influence. And uh, I'm just passionate about uh, what this means in this whole area that we call leadership. But I, my whole shift, my whole perception of leadership is evolving and shifting in this work of, uh, of doing these, having these conversations. So it is my good fortune today we, uh, to have a person with us that I have tremendous respect for. Uh, Ian West uh, is a person who I've known for many years. We initially sat through, uh, I think Ian sat through one of my early presentations years ago, and I've come in and worked with his organizations over the years and uh, have gotten to know Ian very well, and he's a, a leader who is what I would call leads with authenticity, that is truly authentic and lives what I teach. And I've been so inspired by Ian, as I know many of his staff have been. Now, Ian, you're, I'm going to get you to introduce yourself here in a minute and tell us a little bit about you and about the work that you do. But where I met Ian is uh, he, he was the CEO of a long-term care facility here in Calgary years ago. And I know that he has been for many years in the, in the field of, of uh, working with creating cultures that take care of our seniors and long-term care uh, people who need our long-term care. And I'll get Ian here to, t to share his experience here in a minute. And I know his background is he comes from the hospitality industry. And I, I would hope, that Ian, that you might be able to share a little bit about your, uh, your background and how you got here. But uh, then I want to evolve this conversation into, you know, how did, how did you become the leader that you are today? So, Ian, welcome to our podcast today. And uh, Maybe just tell us a little bit about your current role and what you do and uh, what your role is now in terms of uh, your responsibility now. Um, where I'm at now, I, I, I arrived at through an adventure. Um, and the adventure has been trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And I'm still seeking that. But um, I believe we met about 18 years ago, and you're right. I had recently entered into uh, into senior service, into the care of our elders, 
after spending 20 years in the hospitality industry in England, Canada, the U.S. And um, what I do now, um, I'm very fortunate that 15 years ago I had the opportunity, and it was almost serendipitous that I got a call from a husband and wife who um, had committed their life to enriching lives of seniors. And they invited me to join them on their journey. And uh, we have grown not just in, in size, but more importantly in quality, in understanding, and in what we do. And the, the, the greatest, I think, achievement that, uh, that we have accomplished together um, is create a family business. It is family owned and operated now. But more importantly, the people we invite to share that journey with us, not just the leadership, but the, the, the people actually laying the hands, providing the service, be it care, be it, be it hospitality, um, share that passion that we do. And what we've been able to do together is create an environment where we welcome those that are as committed as we are, that are doing the hard, real heavy lifting, but getting the relationships developed at the bedside, at the table side. So I've been very fortunate to be part of that, and I've been able to help shape that, um, and been inspired by those individuals. But David, I think I was trying to work out, I think 18 years ago, you also um, influenced my life, um, and, 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 and I'll say for the good, because when we first met, you write, I had just listened to your presentation. And you turned to me at the lunch table and you said, what is it you do? And my response is, David, I want to do what you do. I want to write, I want to speak. Well, your response changed my, my thinking. Because you said to me, Ian, why do you want to do that? I write about people like you that are actually doing the things that I write about. Why would you want not to continue doing that? That is your gift. And so I thank you for that, I think, because it allowed me to come uh, to Vancouver to work with the company I'm now working with, Alan, Jenny, Gina, who own the company. And together, along with all the sports of the people that actually do the work and that I work with, we've been able to impact very positively, not only lives of currently 3,600 seniors, but their family members that um, need the understanding, need the support, need the, 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 the protection of, of that knowledge, and knowing that uh, where their loved ones currently are is the best place they can be for the needs they currently have. So I know this is about leadership, and um, in reflecting the last couple of weeks, knowing that we're going to have this conversation, I, I tried to understand what type of leader am I? And I came to the conclusion, and I, I spoke to a few people that I work with and know me well, and they said, I don't consider myself a leader. And of course, they look at me and they said, well, what do you mean? You are a leader. And I said, but I didn't intend to become a leader. And I just, I'm going to go back to six years of age. And I think this is indicative of a number of things that's happened over the years that demonstrates that I'm not a leader as such, but what I'm not is a, I'm not a follower. And so at six years of age, I was sent home from school because I was wearing long pants. This is in England many years ago, obviously. And I was wearing long pants and I didn't own any short pants. So I went home because they told me I couldn't come to school unless in, in I was wearing short pants. Two weeks later, my parents get a letter from the school saying, why isn't Ian at school? So my mother went down and explained that he came home and said he couldn't go to school um, unless he's wearing short pants and he didn't, doesn't have any, so he hasn't come back to school. Well, the school allowed me to come back wearing long pants and shortly after that, most of the, the, the boys my age were now wearing long pants. Now that wasn't a leadership. That was a decision I made. I didn't want to wear those short pants. It was too cold out there in the schoolyard. And, um, but there's been a number of times through my life where not following the expectation 
led me to where I am. And in part, um, again, in that reflecting, um, you know, I've had 38 different mailing addresses in my life. Now, that sounds like a lot. Some of them are in the same city, but many of them were, as I say, in different countries and different parts of Canada and the U.S. Um, and within that, what I've been doing is, is visiting. So what I'm currently doing now, I've been doing for over 20 years, which is caring and serving seniors. Um, but when I first came into the industry, um, it was with that not-for-profit in the, in the Calgary area. And when I applied, the headhunter said, oh, well, you have no experience in this, you know, and it was just about to say goodbye to me. And I said, no, you need to meet me. So I didn't say too much other than that, and I met with him. And after two hours, um, he said, you know what, I think you could do this. And I said, well, I told you that two hours ago. <laughs> uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't me being smart. It was me just being practical. Anyway, he explained to me carefully that uh, the company, you know, it was 50 years old, faith-based, very conservative organization, very proud of what it's done over the years and every right to be. Um, and they, they, they wouldn't take a risk on someone with no experience in the industry. And my response was uncharacteristically short. I said, tell them they're wrong. And sure enough, two weeks later, they called me and I worked for them for seven years and learned the craft. But the good thing I learned and brought with me there was I knew I didn't know. And... And, then, and because I didn't know and wasn't expected to know, I used that power of being inquisitive. I said, I don't know why you do things this way. Why do you? Or by this time, why do we? And interestingly, what I found is people didn't know because it was what had already been, always been done. So simply by having the, the vulnerability and the courage of admitting, although I was the leader of, of a very large organization caring for very vulnerable seniors, um, by not knowing and by asking and by relying on those that did know, I was able to build trust in the team. Well, Ian, Ian, I just want to stop you there because you have illustrated my whole point beautifully in a couple of stories already. You did not – what you're saying so far is that you did not seek in either your job interview 20 years ago or in that experience on the school ground as a child, you did not seek to be a leader. And you don't even necessarily see yourself as a leader today you just sought what, what was the right principle. You stood for something. And leadership, almost what you're saying, is that leadership is a result of that action based on the perception of other people. Rather than a precursor, rather than a determinant, it's an outcome. Is that right. what I'm hearing? Well, I've I, I never intended to, to be a leader. I, circumstances drew me into it, and in part because um, I, didn't, I didn't know uh, how to accept the word no. I mean, it started way back after university. I decided I wanted to become a writer, but I realized that writers generally don't earn a living writing, so I, I thought, well, I'd become a journalist. So where was the heart of journalism in England at the time? And that was in Fleet Street. And I'd just finished watching a movie called um, Night Porter with Charlotte Rampling and Dirk Bogart. So I walked into a, a large hotel in the center of London close to Fleet Street. And I said, I want to work as a night porter here and you need to uh, feed me and I need to live in. And they said, well, no, I'm night porters. And, and of course, in the, so a night porter, um, is, is the janitor, not the night manager. And I didn't know enough about it then to even know the difference. But they explained to me that the only live-in positions they had were trainee managers that worked three months in every department. So I said, well, do you have one of those then? And they did. 
but it gave me access to Fleet Street and I got to meet all of the editors and, and many of the journalists. Unfortunately at the time, and this is again an indication of age, is the, uh, the industry was not taking any new uh, trainee journalists because the NUJ, the union, had put a moratorium on it while they figured out what the impact of these newfangled things called computers would be on their members. So my timing uh, sucked, but again, it was again an attitude of, well, if I'm going to start, I might as well start at the top. But getting into the hotel industry at that point, um, I, I realized as a writer, I had nothing to write about because I had no real life experience. But what the hospitality industry allowed me to do, besides travel and earn a living, and in that case, um, have a roof over my head in central London, was to meet people, to get to know what's important to people, how to serve people. And, and my very first morning on the job there, was many years ago, but it's a lesson I've not forgotten, is the, the, the team that I inherited that I was going to have to manage looked at me like, oh, here's another one. Every three months we get a newbie. And so they had adapted their style to that. And the first thing they did is said, Mr. West, we'll show you your office. And I thought, oh, that's nice to get an office. Well, what they took me in was a small room with the dishwasher because I was running the, the coffee shop for the, the hotel. And realizing that this is part of their sort of tongue-in-cheek sort of slap at uh, the way things are done. And I just finished my international, my degree in international politics. I went out very smartly and said, well, you'll be happy to know I'm an egalitarian. And I said, what? I said, what is mine is yours. So I want you to share my office. Right? So that gave an indication that, okay, this guy's maybe a bit smarter than the others, only because I was a little older, probably. Um, but the other thing I discovered there is there was some resistance to me still. And I, and I said, why? And they said, well, how come you don't cook? And I said, then, because I haven't learned. Can you teach me? So they taught me. And then I also recognized that there were certain things not being done on a weekly basis, which were cleaning. And there was no accountability. So I asked them, sat all the team down. I said, write me a list of things that need cleaning and highlight the top three things that are the worst. And they did. And I said, well, I'll take these three. I'll take the worst. I'll be accountable for these. You guys split up the rest and give me the list and I'll know who to hold accountable if a piece of equipment is not clean or in good repair. So years later, um, when I became general manager of hotels, which I did not too long after that, I also recognized that the culture within um, some of the larger hotels was the people above stairs, particularly people behind the, the front desk, were in nice air-conditioned conditions, wearing nice uniforms. And there were often people like myself, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Christian individuals that uh, smiled and, and, and didn't have a care in the world. But the people doing the heart of the work, the people in laundry and, and housekeeping, they were often uh, English as a uh, second or third language, and they were the lowest paid. And there was no real respect shown from those in nice, cool conditions, in nice uniforms, to those people doing the bulk of the work. So I instituted as a matter of policy and practice, that those individuals at the front would have to work two weeks in the housekeeping department. Because I explained to them, unless you understand what it takes for a room to be ready and to be clean, and you respect the people that do that, then you have no real place here. Now I tell that story only because when I did move into the care industry in Calgary, I went to the union, and I went to, uh, a lady named Shelley Brooker, who is still there today, who was a shop steward, and I explained this, and I said, I want to work two weeks as a care aide. They said, what do you mean? I said, well, I understand that the care aide does the most difficult, heavy work, but is the one closest to the client. And for me to understand the work that you do, I need to do it myself. 
Uh, my caveat was that I refused to pay the union dues for putting in those hours, and they agreed to that. <laughs> now, I, I say that because that was over about 20 years ago. That individual is still there today, and that individual, uh, when I meet her um, several times a year, still has respect for me, not because of, of what I did, but for the fact I took time and I showed that I understood the value that she and the people that were doing the work, like her in the laundry, in the kitchen, at the bedside. That is where the heart of any organization is. And so for me, there are critical learning that I think um, people should look to see, well, what do we do? And how do we value the work that is done in our name? And uh, do we really truly understand the value that those individuals bring to, to work every day? You know, Ian, you've, uh, you've brought up, it's very moving what you're talking about here. Because what you're saying is, if you bring a sense of curiosity, a sense of passion for learning, if you bring a sense of service, bringing value to others, if you take ownership and take accountability, and then finally, you've talked about love, and you've talked about deep respect for everyone in an organization, and a value of the people that they, where everyone makes a difference, and it takes everyone to build an organization and to build a community, then you will likely be defined by your colleagues as a leader. This has nothing to do with a title. Any person, any individual can bring these qualities to their work. And you will likely be perceived as being a leader. And I always say that you're not really a leader until someone says that you are. And we usually don't... The one defining quality that I've seen in all of the people that I've interviewed and worked with over these years, the one defining quality of authentic leadership is that they actually don't see themselves as a leader. They're humble. They just want to exhibit these qualities that you have very eloquently brought to the front. Well, it's, 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 it is that. Um, the, the important thing is it's action, it's not words. I mean, words are important. Words are labels. Words are discriminators, not descriptors. Um, so we have to be very careful that we don't rely on words. We don't rely on oh, my business card is bigger than your business card, therefore I'm more important than you. And I'll give you an example. You know, in, in, in my current role, I get to hire a lot of very skilled, very passionate, very, very dedicated people um, at the senior level, those that are running our homes who have to display the same type of values and, and qualities that I myself strive to do on a daily basis. And it's quite common in, in the seniors' home that, that they do jigsaw puzzles. And it's not too uncommon for those jigsaw puzzles to be laminated and put up on the wall as a picture. Um, my favorite being uh, Constable's Hey Wayne. But each, <laughs> for, for each picture, that is made up of multiple pieces. And what I explain to my leaders as I interview them, that I say to them, if I took a piece of that puzzle out anywhere, or before that, I say to them, where are you? Which piece of the puzzle are you on, on this picture? And generally they look into the sky or the sun and say, oh, I'm up there. Right? I'm up there looking down at all of this. And I say, okay, so if I took out this piece at the bottom right-hand corner, and you came in and looked at that picture and said, look at that picture on the wall. Where would your eye be drawn immediately to? And they said, well, I guess the missing piece. I said, well, that missing piece is down in the bottom, so is that really that important? Well, of course it is. And I'd remind them that when I was in the hotel business as a general manager, if I didn't show up, uh, the wheels didn't fall off. In fact, you know, people were probably happy I wasn't at work that day. But if the dishwasher didn't show up, all hell broke loose. So it's important as leaders or those people 
title, understand that they are an essential part of a puzzle, but each piece is essential. And I often go on to sort of go, elaborate a little more and saying, look, this frame is a landscape. And when I met with the owner 15 years ago, I said, what painting, what picture do we want to create? Do we want a seascape, a landscape, countryside? Tell me what it is that we want to create as a family organization. And I got direction on that. And I've got support on that. And, and I tell people before they join us, this is the type of picture that we are painting. Do you want a piece to be part of that? If you don't, that's fine. But know up front what you're committing to. And I think part of the leader's role is to provide that clarity, to provide that vision, to provide the consistency, but also to then allow those individuals to interpret that color in the way that is true to who they are. Because that is the only way people will show up. I show up, you know, when I go to work, I am present. But just because I am present doesn't make an organization successful. I need everyone, and particularly those people who are doing the hands-on work, care, building those relationships, those bonds with my residents and their family members. They are the critical part of our success. And if they don't feel valued, if they don't feel heard, if they don't understand the quality and the, the, the value that they're bringing to those residents, to those families, then nothing gets, get, gets, uh, nothing is successful. I'll just finish it here on this point, is as part of the orientation, I show them that there's an inverted triangle. Now, this is not something I made up. I stole it, I think, from, from from some hotel presentation I saw years ago. And I say that at the bottom down, at the bottom here are the owners, the two owners, the husband and wife owners. And then at the little bit where it's starting to get a little fatter is the, the, the three vice presidents of which I'm one of them. And then it gets a little fatter and that's where the, 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 the sort of site leaders are that um, oversee the sites. And then the, it gets fatter again and that's the department heads. But the bulk of that is the frontline staff, and that's where it's the widest. Then I draw a line, and I say, this is three feet away from this. And this line here represents our customers, our residents, our families, our stakeholders. And I said, the single purpose of everyone in that chain going up is to support the person above them. And if, if the owners support me and I support my leaders and they support the managers and they support the teams, then the sole purpose of all of that is to do one thing, and that is called, is called create magic in that space, the three feet between the organization and the client. And if we all understand that is the intention and we can measure whether we're getting success or not, we can all say we were part of that. And, and there are many different styles of leadership, and the one I like is, is in Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu, where the leader is the one that facilitates the outcome. And the people executing the outcome said, we did that. So the leader's not the one getting the credit and, and taking the accolades. It is the people doing the work doing that. And by creating this idea that our job is simply to support the people above us and the people right at the top are those frontline people that are literally building the bonds for the organization, but for the benefit of the clients and for themselves, we create that magic. And if we can do that, then we're successful. And you talk about leadership being a byproduct. Reputation and profit in our industry is a byproduct. It's not the intention. It's a, it's, it's a, the profitability piece is a reality that needs to be in place. But not because they are the ends in themselves. They're byproducts. And if, if, if we do the work that we do, 
with the, the, the conviction, the passion, and the consistency, that that is what our job is, to create that magic between the organization and the people we're serving. And I've been very blessed to be able to work with a husband and wife and a great team of people who share that same belief. And whilst our industry is struggling to find good people and keep good people, most of my senior leadership have been with us more than a decade because they found a home. They found a place where their calling can be heard. And I think I'm proud of that because leaders not only enable, but they disable. And sometimes leaders get in the way of enabling people. And we're all leaders. The care aid at the bedside is a leader. And in a sense, we as an organization have to give permission for them to be whole. And I've got a couple of other relevant stories, which I'll get to in a second, but you might have some observations that you want to add, David. Well, Ian, I have to tell you, I've been learning and teaching in the leadership development field for the past three, more than three decades. And I don't think that I have heard the philosophy of leadership better articulated in such a short amount of time than what you have just said in the past 40 minutes. And I am moved. And I, this happens every time you and I have a conversation. I, all I do is take notes. And so you, we started this conversation with the notion of your, your story about wanting to do what I do. Well, you know what? You live what I teach. You do what I do. You do it in a different context. But we're both in this business together in wanting to make a difference. And I'm just very, very moved by what you have said. Now, I would love to hear if you've got uh, additional stories um, that you could illustrate this with. I also would love to hear if there were some defining moments for you, Ian, some, some pivotal points in your life, some significant turning points that made you who you are today, that helped you develop and shape. I know that this is a, you know, it's a, it's a lifelong painting, if you will, but I would love to hear if there were some defining moments that you have that got you to where you are today. I just, um, I want to go back to the responsibility that leaders have. Um, recently, I did have to uh, say goodbye to one of our uh, leaders. Um, she, she was an amazing, amazing clinician, uh, got tremendous um, experience caring for elders in, in, in New Zealand and in the, Northern, in the Northern Territories. And when she joined us, we thought she was amazing. And she is amazing. All of her peers thought she was amazing. Um, even my boss, I think his comment was she's amazing. She talks even more than you do, um, which is, I think more a reflection on me than it was on her. <laughs> However, um, I did terminate her. Um, and before I did that, and when I did that, I had shared with her a quote. And the quote was from Albert Einstein. And the quote goes something like this, is that we're all genius, but if we measure the genius of a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it, the fish, will always think itself stupid. And um, the day I went to terminate this individual, I took the book that that came from. and. And I, I turned to her and I said, this is not working for you. It's not working for me. Um, and, and I referenced the quote. And, her and I said, I, said um, I used her name, and I said, you are a fish. And I'm going to release you back into the ocean where you are tremendous. But the role I've got you in is to climb this tree. And... Uh, and, and she agreed immediately and then went on to confirm what I was saying was correct. Um, but what the lesson was for me as a leader was I have a responsibility 
to make sure that the people I place in those positions, um, they can then be authentic in who they are so that they can be genius in, in an area that they are naturally a genius, not trying to fit into something that is. So when I've done selections since then for senior positions, I've always carried that weight of responsibility, understanding that we're all genius. Everyone has a gift. I have to get the right gift uh, in the right spot. And, 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 and a story related to that, um, I lost a leader uh, a year ago in, in a property in Calgary. And, and the individual uh, was amazing, still is amazing. She went to join uh, my previous organization, uh, doing exactly the same job I left to come here. Um, but more importantly, I sat down with the team and I said, what sort of leader do you need? And they said, what? I said, well, there's about 15 of them, managers of departments and, and senior clinicians. And they tell me what sort of leader you need now. And I listened to them. I also gave them um, a questionnaire so those that didn't want to speak out loud had the opportunity to tell me. And I took that and I, I, I understood what the team requested. It took me eight months to find the right person. Now, when I found the right person, or thought I had from the resume and the letter and references, I met the individual and I met them briefly and I met them in, in a in a hotel lobby because I was off off to another meeting. I didn't have a lot of time and I apologized. And I asked her two questions. I said, do you lie? And she said, what? I said, do you lie? And she said, well, no, no, I, I don't lie with little white lies like anyone else. I said, okay. I said, do you exaggerate? She said, no. So I said, good. And I tore up the paper in front of me. So I said, now tell me who you are. She said, well, tell me who you are. You can tell me your story. You can tell me based on work. You can tell me about family life. You can tell me, you tell me your story in your own words. What do I need to know about you? And she did. And by doing that, I knew she was the person that the team had been waiting for. And since then, I've had many... Um, connections with that team who said thank you and I said was it worth the wait they said yes it was so again it's, it's, it's about finding the people who fit to do that role or that leader position that only by showing up as themselves can they do it well can they do it right and and that doesn't just go for leaders, it goes for others too. I think you've known what authenticity is. I, I always say, Ian, authenticity is a lot like beauty. You can't describe it, but you know when it's there. And you have just illustrated here that it, authenticity isn't an academic term that you can analyze and figure out in your mind. You, you, you just live it. And, and I'm just, uh, I'm, again, inspired. Have you got more stories? I could listen to you all day in terms of well, the, ex well, the experience. You know I do have more stories, and yes, I can talk all day. However, um, there's, there's, there's one other story I'll tell after. I, I, I want to say something fundamental in case we, 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 we run out of time. But um, last year I had, I had the good fortune or the opportunity to meet uh, Justin Trudeau. And, and uh, this, was, this was a function, it was a fundraiser, and, and in return for the fundraiser, everyone that was attending got the opportunity to speak with him one-on-one -on -one and, and get a photograph taken with him. And of course the intent is that you go and, and you go armed with a question that is relevant to our industry. Um, and, and you want to kind of get some knowledge of what his intention is or, 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 or ask him a specific question on, on it. And I, I thought to myself, well, what, what do I want to use this opportunity for? So this is what I, I decided. And when I met him, I said, Mr. 
Trudeau, I want to thank you and your family for your service to this country. The second thing I said is, I have the privilege to work with people who are committed and passionate about serving seniors. And what I tell them is that we we manage with our heads, but we lead with our hearts. Now, I mention that not because I happen to have a picture of myself with Justin Trudeau. I say it because I think one of my my strength, and I think it's the strength of, of many people, whether they're leaders or not, is we use a combination of a head and a heart in everything that we do. And I'm very fortunate to be in an industry where heart is very critical. Um, I'm also passionate about quantum physics, which is a whole another podcast. But in, in studying quantum physics, um, the research shows that the heart receives information nanoseconds before the brain. Um, that's information, external information. And, and so what I've learned to do is rely on balancing head and heart in decision-making. And often I'll get a call from my site leader asking for advice. And they say, well, I've got this decision to make and I've got this option or that option. And what I simply tell them is run it through the lens of our mission to enrich the life experience of seniors through creativity and innovation. Which of the decision options gets us closer to that? And generally that's all I need to say because one option is very clear that takes us closer to the, to the mission. The other option takes us to a more practical managerial outcome. And simply by balancing the head and the heart, um, not just as a leader, but I think day to day is key not just to success, but more importantly, to uh, satisfaction and a sense of contribution. And uh, again, we're very, we're very fortunate to be in an industry that we get to make significant uh, differences in qualities of life of a large number of individuals. Um, and that's a great responsibility, but we have the opportunity um, and the resources and the support of a culture and an organization that we're able to achieve that. But it's a choice. Ian. Story I'll tell just, 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 just to get back to this notion of how valuable the frontline people are. Last year, we ended up acquiring a, an existing building. It was 10 years old. It was in Alberta. It was not in Calgary. And, and it was... It was a uh, unionized property, um, and we'd already notified the union that we were going to honor the agreement that was in place. But the owner was introducing myself as representing the current or the new owners in a month's time. And and again, he gave me this great sort of introduction to the the, the, to me personally and to, to the organization I represented. And I looked out at the 150 frontline people who were at this meeting. And I looked at them and I said, I, I said, Tim, thanks for that introduction. I said, but I guess you guys are here to find out one thing. Do I still have a job? And of course, everyone is nodding, right? Because that's all they need to know. That's, what, that's what's important to them. They want to know that they still have a job and that they can still pay the bills. Now, I drink Tim Horton's steep tea and I'm standing up the front with this Tim Horton's cup in my hand. And I said, well, the way I answered this is I said, in a month's time, the residents that we currently have will likely be the same residents we'll we'll inherit. The needs they have today will be the same needs they'll have in a month's time. So uh, the work that you do will still be needed. So, you know, your question may be, do I still have a job? My response is, I invite you to stay. But that invitation comes with this in mind, that if you just come to work to pay your bills, I mean, I go to my work, I need to pay my bills, that's a practical reality. But if you only come here because it's a way of paying your bills, um, I 
held up the Tim Hortons cup and said, they're hiring around the corner. And I say that because the seniors that we serve deserve the very best that we can give and more. And if you don't come to work with a spring in your step, and more importantly, understand the value of the work that you do to them every day, then maybe you should go to Tim Hortons. So, yeah, I invite you to stay. But if you accept that invitation, it comes with an accountability and an expectation that you will come to work knowing the value that your contribution means to these individuals. Um, and if, if you can't do that, then please don't accept my invitation. Well, of course, they all did. And we've had many conversations since we um, acquired the building around that very com uh, comment. But what it demonstrated was two things. One, that we as an organization understand and value the work they do. And two, we expect that they do too, because it's too precious, it's too important. So it wasn't a long speech, but it was a meaningful one. And it was something that resonated with them because many of the, the staff that we have um, come in for the right reasons, they're there as a calling. And um, we have to remember that the difficulties we have with, with regulation and funding and all of the other challenges we have, we still have to keep the humanity in the work we do and in the way that we support and interact with each other. And I expect that of them and they expect that of me. And most days we both deliver. Well, Ian, I want to thank you. Uh, you thank you for inspiring me today. Uh, thank you for your wisdom, uh, for your humility, for your humanness. You've illustrated authentic leadership as I knew you would at its finest. Uh, I think you've illustrated that there's no formula to this deal. It's, it's about an, an evolution of more being aware of ourselves and bringing more of ourselves to what we do. And it's about seeing the magnificence in all human interaction and all human beings. Uh, these conversations that we're having are rather imperfect. They're not scripted. They, they evolve organically, including my introduction and my conclusion. That's what life is. It's, uh, it gets messy, it's human, and it's raw, and it's vulnerable. And I think my, it's my belief, Ian, that this is where our strength is, is in this realness and in this vulnerability. And you have illustrated this beautifully today. Be assured, you and I will have more conversations. Be assured that uh, we will have more podcasts together uh, because this message that you have is very, very valuable. And I want to thank you for your time today. Is there anything else that I have not asked you? Are there other nuggets of wisdom that you would like to pass along to our listeners? And if, if is there anything else that I have failed to ask you? I, I still would love to know how you got here and how you became the kind of person that you are. And I think that will likely be a conversation for another time, unless you wanted to add a, a, a although a brief story is probably not within your repertoire, but you're welcome to, uh, to add any of your... Uh, Final concluding thoughts to this conversation. Well, David, I, I am. I'm going to take you up on that opportunity, and it, it's 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 it, it's a sort of cautionary table, tale to leaders. Um, when I worked with the last organization, the organization that you and I met at, um, I I and the people I worked with did some amazing new initiatives. Um, based on my experiences from the hospitality industry, we changed language. But, and, and if you ask me to, to name the top four, I could. However, I won't because I was back at that, uh, that, that, that seniors community um, a year ago or nine months ago. And I went back uh, to congratulate someone on a, a wedding anniversary. And I got surrounded by some curates who remembered me from the time I was there. And I was just about to leave, and there was one lady, she turned to me, she said, Mr. West, I've never forgotten you. I thought, oh, okay, I'm now hoping 
the day that we went on that one-day wildcat strike? I said, yes, I remember that. She said, but I remember you were so kind. I said, how so? She said, you brought out Tim Horton's coffee and tin boots to us on the picket line. And you were so kind to us, the way you spoke to us. And I've never forgotten that. So the reason I raise this is because if you had asked me what impact I had on that organization, I would have picked the different initiatives and projects. What I was reminded from that is people remember you for how you made them feel, but feel about themselves. We have so much capacity to bestow pride and, and recognition on the people we work with, no matter what they're doing. Um, even the boss deserves credit. But when she told me that, I, I, it, it, it really resonated that, that by simply doing something as commonplace as providing coffee and tin bits on a picket line, I'm supposed to be you know, the employer, um, but because they were doing what they were doing, I was doing what I was doing, and all she remembers from that was the kindness. So often as leaders we have an opportunity to be right or be kind, and I suggest we give some thought before we make that decision, because kind wins more often. Well, we couldn't add, uh, we, we, I'll say it this way, we couldn't conclude this on a better note than the importance of kindness. Thank you for your presence and your spirit and your kindness today, Ian. It has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you, and uh, you have brought great value, I know, to our listeners. You take good care of yourself now. Thank you, David.